Quite the vocal range on her. <laughs> Reasonable, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, so good to see you all this morning. Everybody had great, already having a great time? Yes. We're going to continue on. I, before we go any further, though, I just want to go ahead and say Merry Christmas. You know, at this time of year, it gets so busy, and we don't get to see everyone over the holiday season, so I want to get it out of the way early. Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful time with your families, and remember, Jesus is the reason for the season. So share his love. Use words if necessary. Hallelujah. Well, Holy Spirit, right now, we just thank you that you take hold with us as we open your word. We know that you inspired it, and you know the understanding and the meaning behind it. So right now, we use our faith, and we grab hold with you. We thank you that as we open your word, your wisdom flows to us. Revelation knowledge flows to us. I thank you, Father, that right now, even as we just sit in your presence, bodies are being healed, minds are being relieved. Right now, that your peace is coming upon people right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. You know, you, you don't have to have people lay hands on you. You know, I love that how after the, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the disciples went out and they did the, were doing the works of Jesus. But I like what, what Jesus told them. He says, the works that I do, you will do and greater. And people say, oh, that's greater because, you know, there's more people out there. Well, last time I checked, Jesus never walked through the streets of Jerusalem and his shadow fall on people and they got healed, but yet Peter did. So that's something that we didn't see in Jesus, but we saw in Peter, because he's not just wanting to pigeonhole himself and say, this is how you got to do it. He's got a thousand ways to heal people. You can just sit in his presence and just receive strength right now where you are. Well, I want to continue on this morning in the similar theme to what we were doing in our last series, but my thought process through this whole thing is something that Pastor Robin said a month and a half ago when he was preaching. He just said off the cuff, he said, you know, everything changed between the cross and the throne. And truer words have never been spoken. Everything did change. And we have to understand what changed or we'll continue living the same way things were before. If we don't have that mindful of knowing what changed and now what's possible, you'll live how it used to be. And that's why even in this day, we have all kinds of what I call Old Testament or Old Covenant preachers. They're trying to put the law and the works on you based upon what they saw. They don't realize everything has changed. The new covenant has come. Jesus tore down the old system when he fulfilled it and he put a new system in filled with grace and mercy and love and so our thoughts should be centered around what did change between there because I'm not going to live in the old I want to live in what Jesus built for me to walk in because that was what I've been designed for and when I try to walk in anything but what he has designed me for it's like the gears are grinding when you use things for pur- their pr- purpose other than what they were designed for, you don't get the full function of them. And so everything changed between the cross and the throne. And this time of year, you think we should be talking about baby Jesus. You know, it, it'd be appropriate. But you realize this is the time when the gift was given. And what we're talking about right now is what the gift was given for. And so... 
Two weeks ago, back in Ephesians chapter three, we said how that by revelation, this is Paul speaking, he made known to me, so he being God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, made known to me, Paul, the mystery. As I've already briefly written, and there he's referring to Ephesians chapter one, I think it's verse seven, and the next verse he says, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So Paul said, first, something has been revealed to me that used to be a mystery, and the word mystery is mysterion, meaning something that was hidden, but no longer. And so Paul says, it was revealed to me and what I'm writing about. So what Paul was trying to get across in his letters that he wrote is he's wanting us to understand the mystery as well. Because the next verse says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of man, it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Now we already know that Paul said it was revealed to him, so he's in one of those apostles and prophets, but God didn't give it to them for it to stay with them, which is why Paul said, when I write, I want you to understand this. He was taking what God had given to him, and he understood that the reason why it was given so is that it could be given. And so the whole purpose of what Paul's writing is he's wanting this to be revealed before us. He wants us to understand that everything changed and you now need to understand the new. The next verse he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. What body is he talking about? The body of Jesus. And it says, and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, the good news. And now that, that word partakers just jumped right out at me when I was reading through this, this it was two weeks ago. And it just said, we are partakers of his promise. We are partakers of his promise. What does it mean to partake of something? If we put out a nice spread here before you, all kinds of great food, and I said, come and partake. What am I asking you to do? Come and eat and use it. Nourish yourself with it. And so what God is saying here through Paul is that we've become partakers of his promise. There's things that he's promised to his children that he's saying don't leave them as a promise. Become a user of them. And the word that he uses here is semetikos in the Greek. And it means partaking together with one. Who is the one? Jesus. He's wanting you to partake together with him. And the other definition is become a co-participant. So what Jesus is walking in now, he has asked you to be a co-participant in with him. And a lot of Christianity looks at it and says, oh, Jesus, look at what Jesus has done. Look what Jesus can do now. And you need to understand that what he does, you do too. That's why John said, as he is, so are we in this world. How is Jesus now? It's not how Jesus was or as Jesus was going to be. He says, as he is right now. So Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father in glory. I think Jesus is doing pretty good. I choose to co-participate in what he's doing now. 
And along the same thought, if we jump over to 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now think about that for a second. Grace and peace become more an activation in your life the more you know about God and what he's done for you. And so when we're talking about how everything changed, when you understand what God did, grace and peace begin to be multiplied in your life. And the next verse says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now we could camp there and have some great messages on there, but I want to go jump to the next one. It says, by which we have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these we might be partakers of of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So here, he says, through that knowledge, we've been given the great and precious promises. Remember in the last one, Paul said he wanted us to partake of the promises. And now here Peter says that we've been given those promises, but that through these, we might be a partaker of the divine nature. The promises were given to you so that you could walk in them and not just walk in them, walk in them like Jesus walks in them. To partake of the divine nature. The interesting thing about Jesus is he took on humanity so that you could take on divinity. Now I'll I'll balance this right here. You are not God. Some people like to think they are. (laughs) But if God is the father and you are the son and daughter, you are in the same family. He didn't adopt a worm and say, oh, this is my son. Look at my little worm. We'll call him Willie the Worm. No, he brought people of like nature into his family. That's why in the beginning, it says he created man in his image and in his own likeness. And then it says he breathed with breath into them. And that word breath essentially means he breathed a part of himself into man. Now man gave that up at the fall and Jesus came back and restored that so that we could be in fellowship with God once again. And this word partakers here in 2 Peter 1.4 is not the same word that's used in Ephesians. It's, in this one, it's the word kenonos. And it has a similar definition. It means to be a partaker and a sharer in anything. In a, what is the anything he's talking about here in this verse? In the context, it's a sharer in his divine nature. And so the world likes to try and limit us, and God is wanting to take the limits off and say, step up to the plate. Be my sons and daughters, because that's what I've made you. That's what I've called you. If we think back to accepted in the beloved, he says he has loved and he has chose us before the foundation of the world, meaning this was on his heart and on his plan from the beginning, but he had to let man walk through the process of walking away so that he could make it so they can't screw it up again. 
And so with all this in mind, let's jump to a story of Jesus that actually happened before the cross. And in John chapter 3, we have the story of the, with, of the man uh, Nicodemus coming to Jesus. In verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night. Why did he come to Jesus by night? Because he didn't want to be seen by Jesus in the day. He didn't want others to know that he was coming to Jesus, but he obviously liked what Jesus had to say. And so he comes at night and he says, Rabbi, we know that you, he says we, so obviously more of the Pharisees were having this conversation other than just Nicodemus, says we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said, most assuredly, he just like changes the topic here. He says, most assuredly, I say to you that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus comes and says, we know you're from God. And then Jesus says, hey, you want to see God too? He says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so Nicodemus is immediately uh, thinking about this in natural terms. How do I get born again? But Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you that unless one is born of water and born of the Spirit, so born of water is natural birth, and then he says, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there is a second born experience that happens when you are transformed when you receive Jesus and it changes your nature now what happens when you are born you are born into a family you are born into parents you are born into whatever status of society they are in now think about it you've been born into the family of God there is no status that touches that here on earth and he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Meaning earthly things are earthly things, and I want to talk to you about spiritual things, Nicodemus. And he says, don't, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Why was Nicodemus saying this? He only understands the world in context of how a natural person relates to this world. And Jesus is saying, there's some natural things you need to let go of so that you can now receive of the spiritual things. And you have to understand that not everything in this world will line up with God's knowledge and God's opinion of you. And so you will constantly have to go through the process of letting things go so that you can grab hold of the truth. Right. Now, that process is not always easy. And I've found that people have had to let go of friendships and other types of relationships because others are like, why would you believe that? Why would you do that? And so it always comes down to, do you want to believe and walk in the truth or do you want to stay as you've always been? Because you realize that staying as you've always been will get you the results you've always had. I digress. Verse 10 says, Jesus answered and said, are, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? He's, he's just floored. He's like, you're a Pharisee. You're the one that's supposed to be teaching people and you have no concept of any type of spiritual reality. Everything is natural to you, Nicodemus. 
And he says, most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and we testify what we've seen and you do not receive our witness. And he says, I've told you of earthly things and you do not believe. And how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, I've heard the statement of people say, well, you're just so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. That's not true. The more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you will be because you'll get out of the muck and the mire and all the funk that tries to bury you. Man, step up, rise up. And it says, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, and that is the son of man who is in heaven. And this just went off of me a few weeks ago that, this is Jesus prophetically speaking of himself stepping outside of time because at this point it says no one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven well at this point Jesus had only come down from heaven so he's not talking about his current time but he's peering through time and seeing what's about to be and how he's going to ascend back into heaven and it says the son of man who is in heaven but at this point Jesus is physically talking about here on earth He's not in heaven, but he's referring to himself as though he is. Meaning he stepped outside of his natural eyes. The very thing he's trying to get Nicodemus to do, he's doing himself and realizing, I don't see myself as where I'm standing right here naturally. I see myself as God sees it. And God sees time all as one. It says as he sees the end from the beginning. And then he goes on to say, and as Moses is lifted up the, serp, as a, up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I believe this is when the Holy Spirit is prophetically revealing to Jesus, you about to die. He didn't have all wisdom and understanding all the time. He had to pull from the Holy Spirit just as you do. And so he's beginning to have a bigger picture of what he is, who he is, and what he needs to do. And it says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so now he's referring to himself outside of himself. Whoever believes in him. Who's the him? Me, the one speaking. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now we like to quote that verse but do you know what everlasting life is? It's the word zoe on us. It's God quality of life continually unending. So if Peter says that we are to be partakers of the divine nature, let's think about God for a second here. Does God ever die? Does God ever come to an end? No, he lives forever. But what has he said about you? That you're gonna come and live with him forever and here it says whoever believes in him will partake of god quality of life forever which means something has changed within you when you believe that you are no longer just garnet the earth man you are garnet one with jesus partaker of the divine nature and that's why Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Which means that if everyone who has been born again now has stepped into a new creation, meaning we have to stop living like the old one. 
because everything that was old has been done away with and you have become new in Christ Jesus. Now the hard part is, is, just like Nicodemus, we look at the flesh and say, well, I don't feel new. I still have the same aches and, aches and pains and creaks and cranks. I still have the same old thinking. That's why Paul told the Romans, allow our minds to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because the way we've thought is no longer adequate. And the way we've judged the world is no longer adequate. And the way we've looked at ourselves is no longer adequate because everything changed. And so if we don't learn to view our lives through what changed, we'll continue to live the same existence. And so we preached three weeks on being accepted in the beloved, which is in the same vein as this, because you were not accepted in the beloved before Christ. There was a separation between God and man because man chose to walk away. And that's why man now has to walk back. You know, some people say, well, everybody's saved, you know. Don't worry about it. You'll all end up in heaven. No, man walked away and it says whoever believes in him will have eternal life. There is a process. Man chose to walk away freely. Man chooses to freely walk back. And when that happens, you become accepted in the beloved. And what did we say about that? That he has pursued us with his grace. He has surrounded us with his favor and he has honored us with his blessings. He has loved us with an unconditional love that cannot end and will not end. And as I like as the Thayer's Greek lexicon said, he is unwilling to accept any type of future of which you are not in it. And so through that, we went through Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1 through 14 and Ephesians chapter 3, basically the whole chapter. And so I want to pick up where we left off in chapter 1. So in verse 15, if you want to turn there, if you're following along in your Bibles. Everybody doing all right? Going a little fast this morning, just a little wound up. And in verse 15, it says, therefore... Okay, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to go find out what it's there for. Because it's been put there for a reason. He's summing up other things he just said. What did he say? You've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. You are loved and chosen before the foundation of the world. You are accepted in the beloved. That you have been given an inheritance and that has been sealed by the Holy Spirit, unchangeable forever. And so Paul sums it all up and says, therefore, because of that, also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul sets out a great precedent here. When you think of someone, pray for them. You realize he'll bring people up before you to pray for, to lift up, to build up. If the person's unsaved, a great place to start is Father sends laborers across their path. That the blinders would be removed, that they would be able to see the light of the glorious gospel that's been hid up in earthen vessels. Get my... my, If they're a believer... You pray like Paul prayed, as we're going to get into the next, next few verses. 
But whenever someone comes up for you, don't pass up an opportunity to speak blessing over them because they came up for a reason. And the more we learn to reach out to each other with love and faith and speak grace over people, you realize people begin to reach out and speak love and grace and faith over you. What does it say? Give and it shall be given. Verse 17 says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of him. So what did we say that Peter said? He said that grace and peace are multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And so here Paul is praying for them that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of him. Why? So that grace and peace can be multiplied unto them. But the word spirit here we have to be careful when we're translating these different words because the word spirit is pneuma and they use it for the Holy Spirit, they use it for your spirit and in the context of this verse, he's not actually talking about spirit that way, he's using this definition. The dispensation or uh, disposition or influence which fills and governs the soul of anyone. So basically he's talking about an attitude and a drive that is it within someone. And he's not talking, when you hear this word soul, the translators have done such a poor job of interchanging soul and spirit. They are two different things. Paul, Paul says that you are spirit, soul, and body. And when we see the word soul, we need to check in whether they're saying pneuma or whether they're saying psyche, because those are two different things. When they say pneuma, they're talking about the spirit man inside of you. When they talk about suki, they're talking about your mind, your will, and your emotions. They are two different things and we can't get them confused and so here Paul is saying that I want God to give you the spirit or the drive or the, the, the desire to seek after wisdom and revelation and more of the knowledge of God oh come on turn that the God of your understanding or that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling? Now, when it says the eyes of your understanding, that word understanding I really like, it doesn't have to do with your mentality, it has to do with your imagination. You know, as, as we get older into our adulthood, you know, most of us lose the ability to use our imagination because we stop using it. But when I look at my kids, it's so funny. I can come down, and they've been playing for hours, and I'm like, what are you playing? They're like, oh, yeah, Ben is the bank robber, and I'm the police officer. And, you know, and they just have such a rich imagination life. But as we get older and older, we're just kind of like we begin to shut that off, and we just live rather than allow ourselves to live. You know what I mean? And so Paul's saying that the eyes of your imagination, the lights would come back on and that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, we can take that two ways. Knowing what he has been called to, because there's things that he's done, but then also what he has called you to. We have purpose, and we have place within the body of Jesus, in his church, in his positions that he has placed us. He has called us to things that when we walk in those divine purposes, we find our greatest fulfillments in. It's like if you were using a car to hold up your fence. It would do the job, right? But it was designed to drive. 
It was designed, start the engine, you put the pedal down, and you go. Sure, it will generally hold up a fence, depending on the size of the fence. And so many of us as Christians are just existing, doing something that God has not called us to do when he's telling us to get in the car, start it up, and drive. And that's when we find our greatest satisfaction, when we're doing what God has called us to. But he also said that you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He's wanting you to understand what it is he's left for you. It's like if your great aunt Martha kicked the bucket and owned a whole bunch of real estate and had all kinds of stocks, and someone says, she left it all to you, Pete. You're going to want to find out what it was that she left to you, whether it was the, the, the paper holder on her desk or whether it was the estate, you know? You want to know what was given to you. And so Paul is saying, I, wanna, I want a drive to be placed within you. I, I want God to give you a desire to discover the fullness of what has been left for you. You know, uh, the New Living did, does such a poor job of translating that verse. It's, it says, and it, you may know that you are his inheritance. That's two different things. Yes, he, you're not, actually you're not his inheritance. He purchased you by the blood of Jesus. The Greek here is very much talking about what he left for you. The next verse says, and that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. Now, we have to understand, he's saying, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? That is working in our direction. It's a very active word that's being used. It's the word dunamis, which is where we get our word for dynamic, it's where we get our word for dynamite. They, those are not words that describe passive things. When you plug some dynamite into the side of a hill and you light it, it blows the side of the hill off. When you're talking about a dynamic person, you're talking about someone who gets stuff done. And so when he's talking about he wants you to know the dynamic or dynamite power that is working on your behalf towards you, even right now, right here in this place, there's more power pointed at you to get things done than you've ever dreamed or imagined. And just some of the definitions of that word dunamis in the Greek is strength, power, ability. Or two, I like this one, the inherent power power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Well, what nature did Peter say you need to be a partaker of? The divine nature. Yes. Number three, the power for performing miracles. That's a great one. I like number four, though. The power of moral, or the moral power and excellence of soul. You realize that the power of God in you perfects you. It doesn't make you lazy. Some people use graces like, oh yeah, I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. The power of God within you will make you better, will show you your place of freedom and what you are able to do and that you are able to withstand all of the onslaught of the enemy. Fifth definition for it is power influence which belong to riches and wealth. Number six, power and resources arising from numbers. Number seven, power consisting in or resting upon armies, forces, and hosts. I like what Jesus said. He's like, you not realize that in a moment I could call a whole host of angels and take me down from here? 
You realize that all heaven is standing at your backing because you are just as much a son and a daughter of God as Jesus was? Hallelujah. I like how the Amplified says it. It says, and so that you will begin to know what is the immeasurable, the unlimited, and the surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. It says who believe, though. Isn't that what, go back to the King James, New King James here. It says the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now, this isn't just the, the basic word for faith, which is pistis. It's actually the verb, which means you've taken that faith and you've put it into action. And it means to think to be true, to be persuaded of, to credit or to place confidence in. Now, my garage, we have an attic. And it, the boards that they put there, whoever built it, they didn't really put like, you know, like thick two by fours. I think at like one, some points it seems like they're like only one inch thick. And so whenever I get up there, I walk along the trusses because I am not a small person. I place no confidence in those boards and my actions show it. You realize that your actions show your level of confidence with God? When you begin to understand what your calling is, what your inheritance is, what's the power that's working on your behalf, you begin to walk with a different confidence. And those around you begin to see it. What's different about you? What changed? Perfect opportunity to share the love of God. What you believe, you walk out. And some people believe things they don't even realize they believe, and their actions are telling off on them. And so you begin to understand the power, and you know that you're walking in it, when you begin to walk a little different. You begin to think a little different. You begin to start thinking in the realm of possibility, because right, he was talking about the eyes of your imagination, having its lights turned back on. That instead of seeing dead ends, we begin to see possibility and opportunity. Instead of seeing limitations, we begin to see the power of God at work in our lives. And the great thing is, it's not because of what you've done. It says, according to the working of His mighty power, or through the working of His mighty power would be another rendering. This is not possible to you because you are awesome, though you are. This is possible to you because he's awesome and he changed everything. It says, and he worked, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. Think about that for a second. Jesus didn't just deal with what was happening right now. He dealt with everything that would happen ever. It all got put him in, under his feet. Everything. Not a single thing was left out in all eternity. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Who are you? You are the church. You are the body of Christ. He's put 
all things under his feet, and he is the head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So if the head is up here and everything is under his feet and you are his body, what does that say about everything? It's under your feet as well. Because we don't separate them from the head from the body and the body gets to be way down there and the head way up here. No. You've been joined together with Christ. And this is what he says about you, the church. It's his body, the fullness of him. The fullness of him. Not just a part, not just a glimmer, not just a spark, but the fullness of Christ. Now think about this. Colossians tells us that Christ was the fullness of God and you're the fullness of Christ. You're not lacking anything. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. So now he's talking about your old life. He says, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted our lives in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, which were by nature children of wrath as others. So that's who you used to be, which means that's not who you are now because everything changed. Since all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, this is the New Living Translation. Catch this, what they try to do. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, what does the next verse say? But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. So which one is it? God's angry at me or he's filled with mercy and love towards me? Because you can't be both. Now think about this for a second. Which one does the Bible tell us God is? So if God's going to be one of the two, which one is it? Love. You've got to be careful about which translations you read through. That's why you need to have a broad scope of the word. Read through a bunch of different translations. I fully encourage you, download this app called Blue Letter Bible. You can look up the verse and see all of the words and their original meanings, and then you'll be like, hey, I'm trying to, this person's trying to dupe me in this translation. It happens more than you would think. And it says, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So even if we wasn't enough that we are his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all, if that wasn't enough to let us know that everything is also under our feet, Paul goes and breaks it down again. He raised you up too and made you to sit together with him. 
right there together. So if it's under him, it's under you. If it's not a problem for him, it's no longer a problem for you. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So Paul's really trying to hammer down that this is what you are, and it's not because of what you did, it's because of what he did, everything changed. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, but you are his workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's things that he has prepared you for that when we stand up and say, that's right, I'm going to walk as though I am a son or a daughter of God. He's like, look at these great things. Go ahead and start walking in them. He's already prepared them ahead of time before you even decided to walk into them. Everything changed. Therefore, summing up everything I just said, remember that you once were Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands. And that at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and the strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God, in this world, you used to have no hope. If you feel like you have no hope now, you're not looking at the right nature because this is talking about who you used to be. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinance so as to create in himself, catch this, one new man from two. One new man from two. He's the one, you're the two, and now we're one. Why is it important that you partake of the divine nature? Because you've taken on Jesus as one. And he did it, that he might reconcile them both to God. You know, when Jesus walks into the presence of God, God doesn't say, oh, not you again. And he doesn't say that about you either. That's why Hebrews says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Because you were meant to be there. Hallelujah. So what does that mean for you today? It means that we all have to go through a perspective shift. Whenever we have a situation, good or bad, because you realize that good can get gooder. (laughs) I realize it's not a word. When we, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we always need to look at it through the lens of what God has made us to be. Because that will change your response to it. 
You know, when I was working at the prayer and healing center, we'd have people come in. They've got weeks to live. They're dying of cancer. And we'd have to try and get them to view themselves as God views them. That he's already born this. And you realize the ones that we couldn't get to change their thoughts, they went home and died. And the ones who would realize, wait, Jesus ain't sick. You know, there was this one lady that came in. She was a missionary. She, I think she had been in China for a long time. And she came back, body riddled with cancer, and she came in and started working with one of the healing technicians. And she, was, she came back defeated. She was just like, I'm about to die. I, I don't know what, what I need to do. And the technician began to work. He said, well, what, what's a good verse that illustrates God, God's victory in you? She says, well, you know, I've always liked the verse. I always triumph in Christ Jesus. I always win. She says, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your hotel room tonight, and I want you to spend all night just reminding yourself of that verse. I always triumph in Christ Jesus. I always win. She's like, can you say that with me right now? And he's like, I always triumph. I always win. And she went home, or back to the hotel, and the next day she came in, and she had done what the technician asked. She's like, I went back to my hotel, and I just began to remind myself, I always triumph in Christ Jesus. I always win. And that's how it started for her. And then she's like, I always triumph in Christ Jesus. I always win. And then it clicked in her. I always triumph. I always win. And she came back the next day, a completely different woman. And the cancer just left her body like that because she realized, I win because of Christ Jesus. Everything changed. Have you? Maybe you've been watching us this morning via the internet here and you haven't ha gone through that change. I don't want you to wait another moment before you ask Jesus into your life. We would love to pray with you right now and that's what we're going to do. Just repeat these words after us. Father, Father I thank you, for Jesus, thank you for Jesus. And right now I receive him into my life. I let him be my Savior and my Lord. And I thank you that everything has changed. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us, I would love for you to get in contact with us so we can get you hooked up with a good church in your area and get some resources in your hands. But guys, everything has changed. I want you to think about that as you're going through your week this week. If something gets in your face, remember, everything has changed. And because it has changed, whatever is now standing before you is subject to change by the power of God. You guys are loved and accepted by the Father. Have a great week. We'll see you all soon.